Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 10, recorded Sunday, July 21st, 2019. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hi everyone, and thanks for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cinturpino. Summer is definitely here in Connecticut. Uh, It's been pretty warm the last few days, and yesterday we uh, got close to 100 degrees outside, um, and today we're back in the 90s. Uh, It's been really uh, warm for a few days, but uh, the other thing is we've had some record-level humidity up here, um, and uh, if you ever get to the Boston area, you might hear some people talk about it being wicked hot. Fortunately, though, last weekend we had some spectacular weather when we were in Pennsylvania down at Dutch Springs. Got in two great days of diving, training, and socializing. And uh, we'll be heading back there to Dutch Springs in a few weeks. Uh, But first, we got to get our open water weekend done next weekend where we'll be certifying uh, some new divers. We've been doing a lot of training over the summer, and we'll uh, get some divers certified next weekend, and maybe they'll be able to get to Dutch Springs with us when we're down there in a couple of weeks. But if you're uh, not from uh, Connecticut and you're listening, just think about going diving with your local dive shop. I'm sure they run some great trips. Uh, Going out with your your shop uh, will just be a lot of fun. So go diving. In the June 8th episode, I reviewed the new Osprey dive bags that I would highly recommend for getting your dive gear to those great locations with the knowledge that your bag's going to stand up to the rigors of our transportation system. So now what happens when you get to that dive resort, sign in with the shop, and get assigned to your boat? Well, you're going to have to be able to get all that gear that you just brought to the site down to the boat. And you really don't want to be taking that big airline bag that you checked in down there. Uh, First of all, it's going to get wet, it's going to get salty, it's going to get beat up, and more importantly, it really isn't going to fit on the boat. You're going to need a boat bag. Normally, uh, a mesh bag is what you want, and that is because it can get wet and uh, fold up very nicely uh, and fit under the benches. Uh, or in a compartment on the boat, wherever they want you to put it. I know that uh, some dive operators, like Dive Provo and Turks and Caicos, require you to have a mesh bag. If you don't have one, they'll gladly rent you one uh, so that they can get your gear uh, to the boat um, and uh, transport it between boats uh, when when they're switching boats. And also, at the end of the day, they, they will rinse your gear uh, in the mesh, uh, back, or a mesh bag. I'm going to talk about two types of boat bags, um, the mesh duffel and the mesh backpack. I'm partial to the Acona line uh, and specifically the deluxe mesh uh, line that they have. 
the deluxe mesh duffel and backpack uh, have a coating on their mesh finish. And in my opinion, the, the coating makes it a little bit more durable than the uh, normal uh, fine uh, mesh that, that, that they also have. I know that my original uh, uh, deluxe mesh backpack, I, I had that for 12 years and did a lot of diving with it. And uh, finally, the handle on it uh, gave out after 12 years of use. But after the deluxe uh, mesh backpack, um, I switched over to the deluxe mesh duffel. And personally, I like the, the duffel a little bit better because I find it a little bit easier to pack my gear. Uh, some people do prefer the deluxe mesh backpack, uh, and that's because the backpack feature uh, makes it uh, a, lot, a, a little bit easier to carry. I know with the deluxe mesh duffel, I just uh, can carry it by the handles, or if I want to for a short jaunt down to the boat, I can just sling it over my shoulder. Now, uh, the, the deluxe mesh backpack also comes in a roller version, uh, and that makes it a lot easier to transport down to the boat. Um, you do have to be careful, however, uh, on the way you pack that, uh, that rolling mesh backpack, uh, because if you don't pack it just right, it can easily tip over, and now you're dragging it, and uh, th that just makes it a little bit more uh, challenging. Also, uh, the wheels on the rolling duffel uh, take up a little bit more room when, you, when you're packing it in your bag uh, for your travel to, to the location. Um, you're going to have to take a look at all the options uh, for mesh boat bags. Um, you'll check, stop in at your dive shop. You'll be able to get a look at the physical characteristics, the size of it, and uh, the things that you like about the different uh, versions, the duffel, the backpack, the rolling uh, uh, backpack. Uh, you, you'll just be able to get a good, good idea about what they can, what they can do. So uh, a mesh boat bag. It's yet another simple but important piece of your dive locker. There's an article on the Ocean Conservancy blog by Katie Hoagie titled Record High Number of Species Under Threat of Extinction. And Katie is the Digital Outreach Manager for the Ocean Conservancy. Now, according to this article, there are nearly 9,000 new species added to the IUNC Red List of Threatened Species. And the IUNC is the International Union for Conservation of Nature. And um, according to this uh, latest, this now pushes the total on the list of threatened species to over 100,000. In fact, uh, the number is 105,732 species under some level of threat of extinction. And uh, sadly, uh, no species saw an improvement in their status. Uh, so this is some uh, frightening news. Uh, the, the article talked about um, the giant guitar fish and wedge fish being uh, one step away from extinction. And then uh, the uh, short fin mako shark moved from the vulnerable to the endangered species. And um, 
what they did say in the article is that three quarters of all sharks and rays are at least near threatened or worse. So we did a little research on uh, what these different statuses mean, and there are a number of different statuses that the um, IUNC uses. Uh, things like uh, not evaluated or data deficient or least concerned. And then it moves into the, to the categories of near threatened, uh, vulnerable, endangered, critically endangered, extinct in the wild, and extinct. So I, I guess least concerned, I, I get that. And then uh, extinct in the wild and extinct, uh, I get that as well. I, I wasn't quite sure of what it meant to be uh, near-threatened versus vulnerable versus endangered, etc. So I did a little research on this, and uh, it turns out that there's a scale that they use to, to develop uh, whether a, a, a species is endangered, critically endangered, vulnerable. So, for example, critically endangered means that there is a, an extremely high risk uh, to the species, and that there have been rapid population declines of 80 to 90 percent in 10 years or three generations, or the population of that species is less than 50. And then you move down to the endangered, uh, which says very high risk of extinction with the population declines of between 50 to 70 percent in 10 years, or that there are 250 or less of the species uh, out there in the wild. And then vulnerable uh, means there's a high risk with population declines of 30 to 50% in 10 years or three generations, and there's less than 1,000 um, uh, species out there. And then near threatened, near threatened means it's getting close to one of those uh, other categories. So uh, a couple of things that they did point out in, in the article as well is that the, there's a lot of turtles that are critically endangered. So, for example, the Kemp's Ridley sea turtle, the Hawksbill sea turtle um, are all uh, critically endangered. And then uh, the green sea turtle is also in, endangered, as is uh, the hammerhead shark. Um, and one of the things that we also knew, uh, that I knew about, was the Hawaiian monk seal being on the endangered uh, species list. We've had a lot of uh, fortune to, to see monk seals when we were out in Hawaii. Uh, usually we find them uh, on the beach, but there was a time, there was one dive that we did out on Lanai where we actually had a monk seal uh, sitting on the surface as we were diving, and uh, we were able to, to observe him a little bit and then see him swim off. So it was really a, a, an amazing sight. But this, um, uh, the thing about it is with 105,000-plus species uh, under threat of some extinction, um, we've got to think about uh, how we might be able to save uh, a few of these species in the future. Before I do the next Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive segment, I thought it might be interesting to talk about the movie that inspired the TV show. And that movie was The Underwater Warriors, filmed in 1958, starring Dan Daly, James Gregory, and Ross Martin. Yeah, the Ross Martin who played Artemis Gordon from The Wild Wild West, if you ever remember that show. 
It's a black and white film, um, and it's based on the book uh, called The Naked Warriors, and that was written by Commander Francis Doug Fain, who was a, an early pioneer of the Navy's underwater demolition team. Now, the movie's not readily available. I was able to get a copy on DVD from a place called rarewarfilms.com, and it turns out that rarewarfilms.com is out of Denmark. Quality's a little rough, but it's viewable. So the movie starts out kind of at the end of the movie with uh, you know a couple of divers coming up, being in trouble, and getting moved into a recompression chamber. But then it quickly goes into a retrospective uh, of the UDT career of uh, Lieutenant Dave Forrest. And uh, that character it would be uh, Commander Fane. So uh, Lieutenant Forrest volunteers for the UDT, but uh, guess what? He doesn't know how to swim. So it shows him learning how to swim and, uh, and going into training as UDT where they're uh, uh, using their demolition uh, training where he meets up with a character, uh, Ross Martin. Uh, the character's name is O'Brien, and they stay together throughout most of the film. So as they're um, completing their training, it the, the flashes to a, their first mission in World War II, and they're briefing their mission, but uh, as they uh, are, are getting through what they're supposed to do, they get an announcement that the war is over, and now all of a sudden they're, they're not sure about the future of the underwater demolition team. So Lieutenant Forrest uh, starts to work with uh, some underwater breathing apparatuses. And uh, what he wants to do is use the underwater breathing apparatus to uh, exit a submarine and go, uh, you know, attack a, another ship or get to the beach. And uh, that underwater breathing apparatus that they were using is called the Lambertson Lung. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at some point in the future on one of these shows. But kind of interesting, as they're uh, exiting the submarine, the big worry that they have is uh, whether the Barracuda are going to attack them. Uh, and they show Barracuda on the left, Barracuda on the right, and uh, all of a sudden the Barracuda leave. Well, a little bit of concern uh, that uh, the, the, the time it took to enter and exit the submarine might not be, be appropriate. But uh, Lieutenant Forrest isn't, um, isn't deterred. Uh, he keeps trying at this, and um, finally he demonstrates that he can swim a long way underwater with the Lambertson Lung and uh, place a bomb on a battleship, and now uh, the, the Navy is paying attention to what they're doing. But one of the things that, that they're limited with the Lambertson Lung is the depth that they can do may, go, mainly because of the uh, O2 limits uh, with, with that rebreather. So uh, Lieutenant Forrest wants to, uh, to now use the Aqualung, and he talks about some new stuff that a Frenchman is, being, is developing using compressed air, which uh, will allow them to go deeper. So he starts using the, um, uh, the aqualung, and uh, actually he teaches his wife how to dive. And uh, Zale Perry is the uh, stunt double uh, who's doing all the diving. Yes, it's the same uh, Zale Perry from, from Sea Hunt. Well, the UDT go to Korea, and they clear the beaches, uh, so they're uh, well-positioned now. And uh, after the Korean War... Uh, they uh, go to the Marshall Islands, 
and uh, they want to dive with sharks, and they want to dispel the myths that sharks are, are going to eat the divers. Uh, it, 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 there are some not-so-cool scenes with the sharks in there, uh, but, uh, you know, it was the 50s, and I guess people didn't really know any better. Well, finally, the movie ends uh, back where it started, and that's uh, on a plane that, uh, that crashed uh, three, uh, 300 feet down, uh, and it's in international waters, so they need to go down and blow it up. Um, so it's kind of a funny scene of the hard hat diver who went down first, and he comes up, and as soon as they take off his helmet, they give him a cigarette. Um, and you see them uh, now going to be doing it with the, uh, the Aqualung, and they're figuring out their dive tables, and then both uh, you know, uh, Forrest and O'Brien go in. O'Brien's supposed to stay at 200 feet, and, well, uh, you know, uh, there's something that happens uh, you know, with the charge and, um, uh, on, on, the, on the plane down there, and uh, Forrest gets, uh, gets tangled up, and O'Brien rushes down to, to free him, but guess what? They're... They're going past their dive table limits, and they get up to the uh, to, to to the surface, and immediately go into the chamber, uh, and uh, that's the end of uh, of uh, Forrest's uh, diving. But it is the beginning of Sea Hunt. That wraps up episode 10. A little bit of a milestone. Made it to 10 shows. I wasn't sure really where this would go when I started that first episode way back in March. It was still cold outside here in the Northeast, and we really hadn't been out diving yet. We were doing a lot of training, but no diving. Hopefully, I'll continue the momentum. As always, I'd like to thank everybody who's given me feedback and uh, guidance and support uh, and encouragement to keep the show going. Very much appreciate that. Uh, Also, if you'd like to rate the show on your podcast app, please do that. Feedback's always great. Um, If you want to reach out to me, uh, you can do it from the show's site at scuba-shack-radio at blueberry.com. Or you can go to the Scuba Shack website where I have my weekly blog and you can give me feedback there. So again, very much appreciate everybody who's uh, been listening and uh, hopefully you're out there diving and having a great dive season. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.